Is it not a great joy to see all the children God has blessed us with, especially this time of year? I'm so thankful for having the privilege of being a pastor of these, this many children. They're awesome. Now hurry up, i got to speak. <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa. How many Christmas traditions do you have? I mean, what are those things that you do, no matter what happens, you're just going to do them as a family? It's tradition. I found one out last, last night. We have to watch, um, it's a, not a wonderful life. What's it? It's a wonderful life. Is that correct? It's a wonderful life. That's how much a tradition in our family. One of our children turned to us and said, we got to watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's a tradition. I said, we watched it one time last year and everybody fell asleep. It wasn't a tradition, but we have to. Tradition. So apparently at the Jake's house, even one year could be tradition. We have some good ones. i got to tell you, we really do. One of the things we do uh, at Christmas time is we put, uh, take some glasses out of our cupboard and we put glasses in the 12 days of Christmas glasses. So how many are there? Twelve. And so when someone sets a table, they put down six of the twelve. If we have guests, they get one as well. And then we sing. And everybody has to sing their part as solo. And the parts that we don't have glasses, we sing together. And then we sing our part solo. And it gets a little bit angry, especially with me. When they start singing my part, I got a solo. Back off. Don't be singing my part. It's a, it's a great tradition, and we, make the, we force the guests who come to sing. It doesn't matter uh, if you're going to have a voice or not. You're going to sing with the Jakeses, all right? Well, we have some other things. Uh, we have this wooden tree where Katie puts out uh, presents, and every day uh, leading into the Advent season, a child gets to open up a present, usually something small, candy or something like that. Well, this Tuesday, we celebrated one of our traditions. The tradition, maybe some of you have it, of going and looking for, at Christmas lights. Anybody else do that? A couple of y'all? Well, what we do is uh, we go, we get some really good food, fast food. Uh, this year, we hit Checkers and Chick-fil-A on 436. You can hit them both, which is great, right there next to each other. And we're going to go, and we're going to eat that good health food together, and we're going to go look at lights. And this year's Advent season seemed to be even busier than the rest. And so one of the things we did was the only day we could do it was Tuesday. So come Heck or high water, we're looking at Christmas lights on Tuesday. I'm coming home from work. Everybody be ready because we're going to have a good family tradition here. We're going to go look at lights. You know, by the time I get home, I'm tired, maybe a little cranky. The house, a lot of stuff is going on in the house. Let's try to gather everybody in. You know, they can't find their shoes. Uh, They're starting to argue about who's going to sit where. Uh, And by the time we get into the car on Tuesday night, Really, this is about what you hear from me. Everybody shut up! We're going to get together. We're going to look at Christmas lights. Don't touch anybody. Don't say anything. Just sit there and enjoy. <laughs> Have you been there? I'm not kidding you. We didn't get out of the driveway. I got out of the driveway. And then the first thought was the food. And, and I don't know what kind of grease they put in those, uh, those burgers. But I'm telling you, it ate through my pants. I mean, it was... It's the grossest thing to be driving around, and it just, oh, it was nasty. And we have our favorites, don't you? And we have our favorites, and we, uh, I mean, like the most gaudiest, I mean, what in the world are some people thinking? That one off of Howl Branch and Tangerine, I'm sure many of you all see that one. 
There's one in Domrick that's incredibly cool. They have lights all over this, a big oak tree. It used to be like the one in Winter Park off a of green tree. And they did a phenomenal job with the lights as a, as a tree spreads out throughout the lawn. It was pretty awesome. And again, we heard things like, are we almost done? Uh, how much longer? My gosh, is there any more lights to see? <laughs> and then we made our way to Spring Valley. Have you guys gone to Spring Valley this year? That, like that third left and in that neighborhood they have uh, someone took this, these wooden uh, plywood and they wrote the Luke 2 Christmas story on it and they placed them in neighbor's yard along, hopefully, I think they definitely got permission and shined some light on them and they kind of told the story. You drive through the neighborhood and you're reading the Christmas story. And I got to tell you, peace kind of did come to our, our van and there really was a little bit of goodwill, uh, just the excitement to be reminded of what the season is really about. How about you? Do you have any dysfunctional Christmas traditions? We have celebrated ours. We have a few more to go. You know, maybe that's why we all love the, the TV version of a Christmas Vacation. I mean, can't you kind of relate? I mean, doesn't every family have an Eddie? I mean, you know, uh, maybe with dresses or an Aunt Bethany. And isn't there a little bit of Clark Griswold in all of us? Well, the good news for Christmas is this. is Jesus came to rescue the dysfunctional. The broken, the weary, and the sinful. And when I look into the Christmas story of a Christmas vacation, I can relate. Because through the laughter and through another's family's dysfunction, I can say they have it too. But we look into the Christmas story, it's an incredible story where God says, I'm going to come and be God with you. I'm going to rescue you to make you a part of my family. How can... You and me, the broken, the weary, the dysfunctional, be a part of God's family. How do we relate to that? Certainly, I can relate to the Griswolds. But God's family? Who gets it? I made a great mistake yesterday. Very, very grave Advent season mistake. I went to the mall. And a Saturday before Christmas, to do all my Christmas shopping. And the whole goal for a guy is, is how, it doesn't even matter what you get, it's how quickly you get it. Is that not true? I'm in and out, and I'm just amazed at the number of people that are celebrating Christmas. But the question that lingered in my mind as I watched the sea of humanity, how many really get Christmas? How many really understand what Jesus came to do and who Jesus is? You see, if we don't get it, we don't get who Jesus came to rescue, because we're going to see here this morning that there are those who get it that you wouldn't think would have gotten it. And to those you think would get it, didn't get it. And why? Why did some understand and some who you thought for sure would, didn't? We turn with me to Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew 1. We're going to read 1, 1, uh, and then skip down to uh, verse 18 in the Christmas story there, 18 through 25, and verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. What I want you to do as we read God's Word this morning is I want you to, uh, as you listen... To focus on the names that Matthew gives to Jesus. And if you have a pencil or a highlighter and you want to highlight those names, there's a couple of names. We're going to go back through and unpack what these names mean for us and why they're significant. Let's be mindful that we're reading God's holy and errant word. Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Here's the first name, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Second name. Now verse 18. There's a genealogy, by the way. All I'm skipping is a genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. In verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Common custom in their day uh, before marriage would be a betrothed. They would be betrothed to be married. It's a legal uh, uh, document, basically legally binding them together. Uh, This may last for six months uh, to a year in preparations to their marriage. Uh, And it was at this time that Mary um, is with child by the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But he considered these things, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yahshua. Yahshua, God who saves. Even in the name Jesus, you see his name is linked with what his mission will be. He will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So they called his name Jesus. And in chapter 2, it tells us of the visit of the wise men, the Magi. And in verse 6, it says this, quoting out of Micah 5, Matthew 2, 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let us pray. Father, oh how we need the Spirit of your Son to open up our ears and our minds and our hearts to understand the Christmas story. God, it's a story that many of us have heard so many times. But God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you give us ears to hear it as if it were for the first time? So the wonder and awe of a God who would come to be among us and rescue us would fill our hearts with joy and would empower our feet to now walk in a manner worthy of an incredible God who would send a son to rescue us and to save us. Father, you tell us that Jesus came to save his people. Jesus came as the promised shepherd of Israel. God, we ask that you would allow us to understand who are his people. What truly is God's Israel? So that we can enjoy in fullness the Christmas story. Father, the one who speaks desperately needs to be forgiven of his sins. And Father, I ask that you would empower my words to be your words so that we could be more like Jesus. The things I say that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We ask that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
As we begin drilling down on this passage, there are two sentences I want to call your attention to to begin with. And it's this one. It talks about you shall name him Jesus. Uh, The angel of the Lord is giving to Mary and Joseph. Both get the same instructions. You're not going to have the right to name this child. This child comes with a name already that you will have to bow to. His name is greater than yours. But he says, you shall give him the name Jesus. And again, this Yahshua, a God who saves, give him this name. Why? Because it says this, for he will save his people from their sins. And really what should jump out to all of us is this, who are his people? I mean, who is he talking about? Because it seems like it's a specific group of people. This Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And then if we look into chapter 2, verse 6, and this prophecy of Micah being fulfilled, it says at the end of that, that from you a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Okay, another distinct group of people. Who did Jesus come to shepherd? According to Micah and what is fulfilled in Jesus and given to us in the Gospel of Matthew is that this shepherd, this king, this ruler is to shepherd his people, Israel. The question we got to ask is this. Who are his people? Who are these my people, Israel? And what do they have to do with us today? You see, so much of the mystery of who Jesus is and what he has came, come to do is, is seen in his name. As we unwrap the names that God has given to us, revealed to us, we can never name God. God's names are given to us. They're revealed to us. But every name that God has revealed to us tells us about who he is. Tells us about what he does. It gives us a picture of his character. Just as you call your child's name and you call out a name of your child, your niece or your nephew, immediately there'll be a picture of that person and who they are. Well, most of those aren't necessarily as descriptive as God's names are. And we look in the Gospel of Matthew and we start off with this. This name given to Jesus is one son of David. Why? And if you want to follow along, there's a spot for you uh, in your bulletin under sermon notes. You may want to put who these names are. The first one is this. Son of David. Jesus came because he is one who came to rule us. Oftentimes at Christmas time, we see this little baby, this little infant, meek and mild, and we can forget this is King of Kings. This is Lord of Lords. This is the promised ruler that God has promised will usher in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Christmas is a celebration that the son of David truly has come, the ultimate King of Kings, the ultimate King of Israel. And he did come as a baby, but he has come to proclaim this kingdom. Now, basically, hit pause on that, and we're going to pick that back up in the first two weeks in January. As we've been looking at the patriarchs, we're looking at these uh, uh, godly men in the Old Testament and comparing them to Jesus, the first two weeks of uh, January, we're going to look at David. But let's go to the next one. It says this, not only is he son of David, but he is son of Abraham. As son of David, it tells us, he's one who came to rule us. As son of Abraham, it's clear, he's one who came to bless us. 
as we remember, we look back to even Genesis 12, when Abraham really takes center stage in Scripture in Genesis 12. It's this man of faith that God called to leave his father and to leave all the gods he knew and to pursue after God and the land that God would promise him. And it was this Abraham that God gave some incredibly lavish promises to. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so much because of your faith. I'm going to be, bless you so you could be a blessing to all nations. I'm going to bless your seed. And the Israelites were waiting, where is this blessing going to come? It seems to be so elusive. It seems to keep on slipping away. And then the Christmas story is when we hear that this is son of Abraham, we're realizing it. this is the promised one. This is the one that God has promised to come and to bless us all. Through him, through Jesus, all the blessings of the Father are yes. All the promises are yes in him. So this is an incredible uh, son who God has given to us. But who gets it? Who receives it? And who misses it? Turn with me to John 1. Hopefully, I think, I think these should be behind me as well. John 1, uh, 11 and through 13. John 1, 11 through 13. He came to his own. Okay, now who are his own? He came to his own, his own being the Jews. He came first to the Jews. He came as a Jew, uh, trained, uh, he became a rabbi. He came to his own, his own people. John makes it very clear. He first, he came to his own, his own people. They did not receive him. Those whom you would think would get it, didn't. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Unbelievable. This is what the Christmas story says. There are those who thought they were entitled to it. They thought that they were entitled to a Messiah. They were entitled to all the promises. They were entitled to a godly king because they grew up in a certain heritage. Because they grew up in a certain family, a Jewish tradition family. They thought they were immediately entitled. They deserved it. We're going to have it. But when Jesus came, those who thought they were entitled to it missed it. Turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 9. Paul adds words on this and makes it even clearer. Romans 9, 6. I'm going to start halfway through 6 and read 6 through 8. It says this. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Now, is that a confusing verse or what? And basically what Paul is saying is this. Not everybody who was born into a Jewish tradition is what God sees as true Israel. You see, there's a distinction. Many people live their lives thinking that God has this chosen people, Israel, and it's a privilege they have just because it's a birthright. But John says very clearly in John 1, we just read, listen, it's not because of flesh or blood. It's not by the will of man. The ones who get this are born of God. They're born again. The ones who get this aren't naturally descended from this. The ones who get it are by God's grace given new life in Christ. It goes on to say this, And not are all children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall be your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh, those by natural descendants, who are the children of God, 
but the children of the promise are counted as his offspring. This is amazing. We got, really got to get this because there are those people who thought they were entitled to receive it just by birthright. They thought, you know what? We're Jewish. We grew up, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have this great tradition. Because of that, Messiah is going to come to us. Because of that, we're going to have all the promises fulfilled. And Paul says, no, that's not it. And the gospel writer of Matthew and John said, that's not it. The ones who get the Christmas story by God's grace are those who have been born again. Those who confess with their mouth as Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Those are the true Israel. Those are the only ones who understand the true Christmas story. How is it with you? Maybe young people, do you think being born in a Christian home entitles you to understand Christmas? Maybe uh, going to a certain school or having a certain heritage, even being baptized. Being baptized as a child, you may say, well, that, therefore, I'm entitled. Now we see that only those who are truly called God's Israel, God's family, are those who embrace him as Savior and declare that Jesus Christ truly is Lord. Those who thought they were entitled to it missed it. Okay, son of David, son of Abraham. And then we see he's called Jesus, one who, came, who has come to save us. Realizing that we're lost. Is there anything worse in the holiday seasons and Christmas season than being lost? Being lonely? Struggling for meaning, trying to have all the pieces fit, trying to say, who cares? Does it really matter? Why does it still hurt? Because of our brokenness, because of our sinfulness, because of the state in which we brought upon ourselves as broken, sinful people, God had to send a Savior, and his name is Jesus. But again, we want to ask the question who are his people? Who did he come to save? And who missed it? I think we'll be surprised. Again, who missed it? Who missed it? The last point was those who were thought they were entitled to it. Who missed it? And this point, those who didn't realize they needed a Savior. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13. Matthew 9, 10 through 13 is a great story. It's a story of Jesus and he's calling a sinner of all sinners uh, in society, someone of the lowest rank, lowest reputation. And Jesus is going to call someone as dysfunctional as a tax collector, not just to be a part of the family, but he's going to call the low of the low, the lowest echelon of society to become a disciple. One who made a living ripping off God's people and giving money to those Romans, those hated Romans. And here is Jesus who comes along the road and sees Matthew and says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew's going to leave everything that he knew, everything that he earned, a very good living, and leave to follow Jesus. And the joy of knowing Jesus and knowing the Christmas story and, and having a Savior was so great for Matthew that he had to throw a party. Don't you love him? I love a guy that gets excited to throw a party. This is Matthew. He's just excited about Jesus and he's going to invite all his friends. And what I love about Matthew is it's not a party that Christians normally throw. It's for all the people who are dysfunctional, broken, outcast, and sinful in his community. Why? Because they needed to hear and follow Jesus too. And it's at this party where Matthew is introducing Jesus as his Savior. 
And look at what happens. Look at those who are watching the party in, in chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And by the way, I love the fact that my Savior, my God, Jesus, Emmanuel, was comfortable in a sinner's house. Gives him hope that he's comfortable in mine. And hopefully hope that he's comfortable in yours. That's God reclining at a table in a tax collector's house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. No wonder they called him a friend of sinners. He partied with them. Is this not good news for all who are broken, all who are dysfunctional? Here he is with those sinners in town reclining with them. And when the religious folks, when the religious folks, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because his name is Jesus. And he came to save who? Sinners. That's what he's doing. He's doing that which he has come to do, to rescue the broken and the lost. And the religious folks couldn't understand it. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I mean, this is a really, a really a backhanded slap. These are the Pharisees. And he's basically saying, you guys don't get it. If anybody should get it, if anybody knows Torah the way you know Torah, if anybody knows the promises of God the way you know the promises of God, Jesus is going to come, Emmanuel is going to come for the broken, for the lost, for the dysfunctional. Go and study some more, gentlemen, because your studying hasn't brought you to my feet yet. Here's the point. If our studying of God, if, our, if our, all of our Christmas decorations, if all of our Christmas traditions don't bring us to a feet of a Savior, we miss it. He said, I've come not, not because they, for the broken, for those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I love this. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Who got it? Who got the Christmas story? Who got Jesus? It was the dysfunctional. It was the broken. It was the sinful. It was those who knew they needed a Savior who didn't get it. It was those who thought they were righteous enough. It was those who thought that they didn't need a Savior. How is it with your life this Christmas season? Do you believe that your, your righteousness, your goodness, uh, church attendance, uh, your philanthropy uh, is going to be good enough? Or do you realize by God's grace that you come here broken? And yet you and I, we've missed the mark of perfection. That we've all fallen short of God's perfection and holiness. And that we need a Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. God has come to rescue the lost. And those who didn't get it didn't think they needed one. They walked around and said, my religion's good enough. I'm praying these long prayers. I'm giving away my money. Everybody knows I was religious. This should really stop. We should examine this very, very carefully. Because the religious folks of Jesus' day missed it. And that kind of looks like us. we got to ask ourselves the question, is our religion penetrating deep into our heart? Do we know our real dysfunction? Are we turning to a Savior? Or do we believe that our righteousness is good enough? Jesus, one who came to save us. The only way we get Christmas is to understand the brokenness of our own lives. 
No matter how we want to dress up our lives and how we want to put up Christmas decorations and gloss over all of this function, really, it's unbelievable. The only way we get the Christmas story is understanding the brokenness of our story. But Christmas is a celebration of God stepping into that brokenness. Now listen, if Christmas was a celebration that God came to visit our brokenness, we would have reason to put up lights and celebrate. If we had a God who was able to say, I came and I visited your brokenness. I mean, think of royalty. How often does royalty enter into poverty even to visit? And if if Christmas was all about a God who, who came to visit our poverty, we would have reason to exchange gifts and to celebrate. But it's more than that. He didn't come just to experience our brokenness. He incarnated our brokenness. He came to be broken himself. I mean, the Savior to rescue us not just enters into our brokenness, but becomes broken. And the incredible gospel story is this, is by his brokenness, we are healed. Oh, what a God. What a Savior. What a friend. If he was just going to come to visit us, we'd have reason to celebrate. But to be broken for us, to shed his blood, to cleanse us. Why did they call him Jesus? Because he is Savior. Do you know him as Savior? Give him the name Emmanuel, because he is one who came to be with us. Because there's nothing like being alone. The pain of being alone. God has come to be with us. Who did God come to be with? Let's look in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18. And there's so many things in even the first four chapters of Hebrew I wanted to point to. But I settled on Hebrews 2, verse 17 and 18. It says this, Therefore, Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become, interesting language there, God becoming a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. And this is what, this is what the writer is saying to us. Jesus, God, had to become flesh and dwell among us. He had to be like us in every way, every temptation, every, every bit of life he had to experience. Why? So that he could be Emmanuel. He could be God with us. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's just not listening? Have you ever talked to someone who's just not there? Have you ever had somebody who just wasn't entering into the way you were feeling and the life you were experiencing, that somehow they were aloof from it? And the one thing that I guarantee you, if you've had that conversation, and I know you have, is you feel like they don't understand me. They don't relate to me. They don't know how I feel, what I'm experiencing, what life is like for me. But that's not our God. Jesus had to become like us, like his brothers in every way, so that he might become that merciful God. So he knows what it's like, Emmanuel, God with us. Not just God with us next to us, but God with us who relates to us. Is that not an amen? A God who relates, who knows your pain, who knows your suffering, who knows your darkness, who knows your sorrow. That is God with us. 
That is an incredible gift that God has given us. Emmanuel. And who were the ones who missed it? Those who didn't have any room in the end. Is there room for Jesus in your life? Where is he? I mean, is there really room in all the stuff you're doing? I mean, even in this Advent season, the ones who missed Emmanuel, God with us, didn't have room for God with us. May that never be our lives. May that never be our heart. May the joy of Christmas continue not just now, but throughout the year. You see, Christmas is a celebration that Jesus has come to rescue us from our dysfunction. He's come to rescue us from our brokenness. And the first question is this. Have you unwrapped that gift? May it be the first gift you unwrap this Christmas season. If you're here this morning, and if you've never embraced Christ as Savior, now's the day. This is the first gift to open for you to really understand Christmas, for you to really understand your life, to you really understand eternal life. It begins here. Have you unwrapped the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christ Jesus? By God's grace, he would so love sinners like us. He would send his one and only son to come and to do that which we couldn't do and die a death that we deserve so that we can have God with us, Emmanuel, so we can have our sins forgiven, so we can have life and life abundantly with him. There's a lot of people that are celebrating Christmas that have never unwrapped that gift. They think they might have it because maybe they were born into a tradition. They think they might have it because maybe they were baptized. They think they might have it because maybe they joined a church. But the question, the ultimate question is, have you unwrapped the gift of Jesus? Have you said there's room in my heart for a Savior? Have you knelt down by that manger throne and given your life to him? That's where it begins. And if you haven't done it, do it this morning. Simply just confess, Jesus, I need a Savior. And you tell us in John 1, for those who believe on your name, to all who receive you, that you would give us the right to become children of God. Is there a better Christmas present to be called child of God? That's who we are in Christ Jesus. You know, now for the rest of us, by God's grace, we are those Christmas lights that should be shining in our neighborhood throughout the years. It's so amazing. When we go on those family tours around the neighborhoods, it's really clear who celebrates Christmas and who doesn't. And it's really clear that maybe some people don't have anything to do with Christmas. And I love looking at the different lights and saying, you know, those folks are obviously celebrating, those folks are obviously celebrating. But in a week or two, all those lights are going to disappear for the normal people. But really, for us as Christians, our lights should be shining in the neighborhood all year round. The way we love one another, the way we love him, our light should be shining. I mean, they shouldn't be coming down at Christmas time. I mean, they should be coming down at Christmas time, those outside lights, please. But the light of Christ in your heart to shine as you celebrate all year long. You know, one of the things that I love about Christmas that really helps me with my Christian walk is this, is I have a dear friend who helps me put on Christmas lights. I wouldn't do it without him. He always gets me started. He comes over and he helps get them out and he gets everything all lined up. And I thought that's kind of what the Christian fellowship's all about. For me and you to help one another saying, 
Are you shining for Jesus? Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you shine. Let me help get the lights out in your life. Dust them off and make sure they shine brightly. You know, one thing I hate about Christmas lights, I finally got them done, and this year was the worst ever. I think yesterday, literally yesterday, I strung up the last outside lights. Of course, three of them don't work. But they always need attention. I'm always having to go back and covering over the ones that have burned out and and replacing the ones the dogs ran through. That's the way it is with Christ with our lives too, making sure that light shines, making sure that there's nothing keeping his light from shining. You know, maybe what I love most in closing was this. When we drove along and we finally got to that street that told the Christmas story, and there was the Christmas story on each little plywood as you drive through the neighborhood. And I, I, I realized that should be us. I mean, each one of us as Christians has a part of his story to tell. And each one of us in our lives, in our home, in our work, should be telling his story. We should be putting a spotlight that reflects to him, not on us, but on him. And for people to really understand the full story is we have to tell our part. You know, if, if, if the story is, is, if there's parts of our story that are black, if parts of our story aren't being told, we don't tell the whole story. And the beautiful thing about Christmas is this. He wants to tell his story through you and me. And we don't have to put a billboard in our front yard. and We don't have to put a spotlight on to tell the Christmas story. We've got to live as people who love Jesus and love one another. Can we do that? And as we love Jesus and love one another, can we just tell his story together this year? Can we do that? Is there a greater story to tell? In the midst of all our brokenness, in the midst of all our dysfunction, we're a part of God's family. What incredible joy. And now what great joy we have to tell his story. Is there greater news than this? So may we, Orangewood, shine the light brightly, the light of Christ on our lives, so that we can tell his story together. Jesus came to make dysfunctional folks like us his family. And now we are his Christmas story. Let us go and tell it. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the incredible joy of Christmas. A joy that God would come wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger to come and to rescue us. Thank you, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, son of God. Emmanuel, Jesus, Savior of sinners. Thank you that you've come and rescued sinners like us. Father, we ask that this Christmas, that if there's anyone here this morning, that your Holy Spirit, Father, would give them the grace to unwrap the greatest gift of all gifts, the gift of salvation freely offered in the gift of Jesus Christ. God, give us the faith to believe so that we too can be called the children of God, the true Israel. Father, I pray for each one of us. May we shine brightly for Christ. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. One of the things that Christmas really does is brings peace. And listen, we are his story. And so we're going to pass the peace. At the end of hearing this, we have peace with God. The Savior has come. So would you, as a family, exchange that peace with one another so you can remind one another that we are the story. May the peace of Christ be with you. Please greet one another.